Gregory Zamfotis started Gregory's Coffee in 2006 in Manhattan, seeking to carve out a niche apart from Starbucks or Dunkin'. Since then, the brand has grown to about 30 locations around New York, New Jersey, and Washington, D.C. Gregory's mission is to provide the convenience of those bigger coffee brands while providing the experience of more boutique coffee cafes, he said. Gregory's launched a mobile payment app in 2014 and has had order ahead capabilities for the past four years. The pandemic hit the chain's central business district locations hard, he said, but Gregory's is opening new units in Hoboken, New Jersey, Long Island, and more. Tune into the latest Buzzworthy Brands podcast to hear more from this talk with Gregory's Coffee founder and CEO, Gregory Zamfotis. Thanks so much for joining me today. Can you uh, just start off by introducing yourself and then telling us about your uh, your concept? Sure. So, hi, I'm uh, Gregory Zamfotis, the founder and CEO of Gregory's Coffee. So we got our start in 2006 in Manhattan, uh, New York City. And, you know, my father had fast casual concepts in New York throughout my entire childhood. So I sort of grew up in the the food business, um, never really thought it would be something I would do for a career myself. I went to undergraduate business school and then uh, law school as well. it was halfway through my law law um, law degree where I realized that while I could practice law, it wasn't something that I had much passion for. Um, so I decided to uh, pivot towards something that I felt was more in my my bones and my blood, and something I, I you know that sort of Malcolm Gladwell, ten thousand hours of experience that I didn't realize I had, which was working working in the food industry. So I. Um, spoke to my father about, you know, finishing my, my legal degree. And then once I was ready and done, I was, I wanted to open something for, for myself. Um, and he was, he was supportive at first. He was a little surprised, but, you know, supportive that I wanted to do something and, you know, pursue an entrepreneurial path like he had. So, um, I really had an interest and passion for coffee. And back then, I mean, when we were in 2004, 2005, when we were having these discussions, um, Specialty coffee was was not really a thing here in New York City. So we typically pride ourselves on being early and one of the forerunners of many things, but coffee just wasn't it. You know, there was a, a more mature specialty coffee scene on the West Coast, uh, even in Chicago with Intelligentsia Coffee. But you came to New York uh, and specifically in the, the heart of the city, and there really wasn't anything other than Starbucks, Dunkin' or, or delis per se. Uh, they had good coffee in the city, but you had to go to the outskirts or to Brooklyn perhaps to find a great cup of coffee. So in 2006, we started with the mindset that we wanted to have a, a great quality coffee program, innovative products uh, with amazing service. So my father's businesses had always kind of taught me that, that if you have a, a clean store, you're efficient, you have great products and great service, then that's really what it takes to have a successful business in Manhattan. So, you know, I put that to work and obviously uh, our, our main focus was coffee and I immersed myself in that world to, to really make sure I was going to have the most cutting edge and innovative products possible. Um, and over the years, you know, we've gotten better and better at our coffee program and expanded the footprint. So from one store in 2006 to 
north of 30 stores now across New York, New Jersey, and Washington, DC. Um, we're always innovating and trying to raise the bar. Um, and you know, my, my endless ambition for, for improvement and, and making better experiences for the guests um, has helped to fuel the hustle for, for thousands and thousands of people every day um, in anywhere, in any of our cafes. Very cool. So uh, it's interesting because obviously you have these major uh, players in this coffee space, which you mentioned Starbucks and Duncan, and then you have, you know, little neighborhood shops. Um, and then there's kind of this smaller subset of where you guys are of these, of these kind of growing regional coffee chains. How, what, what do you feel like differentiates you guys? What sets you apart from some of these other players in this space? That's a great question. Um, and that sort of harkens back to the original um, founding of, of our company here, which was we wanted to do things differently. So our, our sort of tagline has been see coffee differently. And what that really has always been for me was people associate quality coffee and niche coffee with um, those sort of coffee shops that you know will take a long time, tend to be expensive, not, you know, the stereotype, I don't know if it's necessarily true, but not necessarily the, the highest quality service where people are saying there may be a, a rude barista giving mm -hmm. you service. I don't really agree with that, but that's sort of the stereotype that people think of those niche coffee spots. Um, so I wanted to buck that trend and say, you know, I see what Starbucks is doing. It's obviously very impressive. Um, I think I can do, um, serve the quantity of people that Starbucks aims to do, which is, you know, they'll, they'll drop a store in the Times Square and do thousands of customers a day. Um, where if a, a, one of the more traditional specialty coffee brands were to do that, they just wouldn't be able to keep up with the volume. It's just not part of the system. So, you know, we put systems in place to main, manage a high quality coffee program while also maintaining, you know, a, a high volume of guests and throughput through our stores. So, um, my father's experience uh, has always taught me, you know, to be efficient and put systems in place to get people in and out efficiently. Um, and then when I coupled that with my passion and desire to have an amazing quality coffee program, we really figured out a way to serve a lot of people really high quality coffee. And that's something that just hasn't really happened in the specialty coffee world. And I don't really see too many folks even attempting to do it because it's very hard. So Starbucks can serve a lot of folks, but they're much more automated. Um, and, you know, that's just kind of their DNA, whereas the, the more manual and high quality, quote unquote, uh, coffee shops uh, will take much more time. And they're just incapable of if 30 people walk in the door, the 30th person might be waiting a really long time. Where sure. we'll, we'll plow through lines of 20, 30, 40 people in under 10 minutes, no problem. Well, can you drill down into how you're making that happen? What, how are you uh, handling, you know, the coffee making process? Are you doing pour overs? Uh, what, what kind of systems have you put in place to, to uh, boost efficiency? So it's always the balance between, you know, what we're striving to have the best quality cup of coffee with what the guests are actually desiring. So we've had a pour over program uh, for years and, you know, I, I felt like as we've invested more and more in our coffee program and taken on the roasting ourselves and really just raised the bar on our blend coffees, that our, our coffees that we brew on our, our batch brewers are just so darn good that it started to reduce the spread of quality between like our blends coffee and our pour overs. 
Uh, and people, you know, there was a huge pendulum swing where for a while people really coveted that handcrafted coffee and they were willing to invest that five, six, 10 minutes of time to brew one cup and willing to pay a steep price for it. And there's still plenty of people who are interested in that. But I think the overwhelming majority of people are, are seeing that the, the bar has just been risen so much higher on just the general house coffees that are out there and specifically mm -hmm. at Gregory's where they're saying, you know, I can have this coffee and it's ready right now. Um, it's delicious. And it's, you know, a medium price point. Um, so while we still have, you know, very select limited edition coffees from, you know, remote places in the world and have really exquisite, you know, flavor profiles, um, our blend coffees are just, you know, so good. People love them. We serve, you know, the best-selling coffee in Gregory's coffee history is our, our house blend. You know, we sell more of that than anything else. Um, and so we, 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 we use high-quality equipment, invest a lot in our training. Um, we're really thoughtful with the way that we staff our stores, how many people, the different stations they work at. And it's, it's really multiple levers that we're pulling to make sure that the coffee stays consistently great um, and that we're able to, to move lines in a way that people don't feel like they're being rushed, but they also don't feel like it's taking a tremendously long amount of time. Sure. Sounds like, a, you know, a bit of a tightrope to, to walk, to figure that all out. So pre-pandemic, is a Gregory's location a place where somebody would come and hang out and, and work for the day? Or is it more you stop in and get your, your coffee and, and head out? So, you know, on our first day of training, we typically say there's so many reasons why folks will come to coffee shops, whether it's, like you said, to grab their coffee and go, or maybe it's to sit down and, and read the paper or have a meeting, have a, have a coffee date with a friend. Um, there's so many different reasons. And we, all of our stores have, you know, free Wi-Fi, you know, unlimited outlets, no time restraints. Uh, there's a lot of folks who will say no laptops or no Wi-Fi, or they don't give you outlets because they don't really want people staying too long. <laughs> Um, you know, we, we, will, we go very much in the opposite direction. We want to say yes as much as possible. Uh, and we want people to feel comfortable uh, and to enjoy our spaces, um, no matter what reason they're coming in for. Um, but we've also, as you mentioned, the, the grab and go element, you know, we've had an app, uh, mobile payment app since 2014. Um, and it's been about almost four years now since we launched Order Ahead. Um, so we've been, wow. you know, while- That's very while early in the, in that game on that. Yeah. So, I mean, we're- we were behind Starbucks in that, that regard, but we were certainly ahead of most of my, my peers in the specialty coffee world. Uh, there, most of them have now, during COVID, flipped uh, services like that on, where we always wanted to say, I wanted to give you all of the convenience um, and the ease of the experience that you, would, that you would get from some of these bigger chains, but delivering some really amazing and innovative products that you would expect from smaller, more boutique brands. Um, so when you, when you do those, when you bring those two things together, we found that guests just find tremendous amount of value. They just, they're, they're, they're really surprised to find that for, you know, a $3 price point, they can get a, a coffee that tastes amazing. They can order it ahead. It's ready. There's no wait time. Smiling baristas, comfortable, warm environments. If you want to, hang out and use the Wi-Fi, go for it. If you want to just take it and get on your way, uh, that's cool too. So um, we know we can't be everything to everybody, but we try and cast the widest net possible. Sure. So having that tech in place already, how, how has that helped you navigate this past year where everything was turned upside down? Oh, I think it was 
It was so important because we weren't learning on the fly. I mean, it was already part of our DNA it was not only to be efficient to move people um, through our through our system efficiently. Uh, and, you know, during the earlier days of COVID, folks really didn't want to stay inside of spaces. It was it was not people didn't feel safe. Um, how do you how do you get people their product um, at the door, you know, and us making sure, you know, contactless payments, you know, not accepting cash that wasn't safe for a while. So a lot of the things that were sort of required for businesses to be able to function, uh, we already had the systems in place to handle that. So I thought it was a very low lift in regards to how do we, how do we augment our system to, to adjust for that specific um, requirement during the early days of COVID. Um, and if anything, um, it just strengthened folks' um, confidence in what we do because they, 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 they saw how we were operating and not only being safe and clean and hygienic and being, being extra careful to make sure we we're doing all the right things with regards to CDC guidelines, or New York City or, or all of our local municipalities' health requirements, but just having the tech to make it as easy and seamless as possible and being able to execute because we weren't really learning how to do it during COVID. We've been doing it for years. So sure. there was a certain level of confidence people had that we were able to deliver for them. And it was it was really important to, to help us weather this storm. Yeah. So uh, consumer patterns have changed so much during this time with, with so many workers uh, working from home, no longer commuting, no longer going through train stations or walking through, um, you know, central business districts, what kind of impact has that had on you guys? It's unfortunate, uh, specifically because we are very heavily concentrated in um, Midtown and financial district of Manhattan. So out of the 30 stores, say about 20, 22 or 23 of them were right in um, tourist uh, or daytime office population centers. Uh, and in non-COVID times, those were fantastic places to be, you know, plenty of people and, you know, uh, a lot of density and great places to be. And, you know, unfortunately, that's probably the worst place to be during all of this because the, the office community is almost uh, completely vacant at the moment. There's little to no tourism and almost no commuting. So um, those stores were pretty severely impacted. But, you know, we made pivots and adjustments and have been working with our partners on the landlord side. Um, to manage, manage through this. So, you know, we, we keep good relations with, with our landlords and our vendors and um, have made adjustments on our, our operations side to just be as, as lean and, and smart as possible with how we're managing through this. So, and, and, and I think it's early on in COVID, it was, it was one thing where nobody knew how long or what kind of impact it would be. So some of those conversations were much more challenging for people to, to really say like, oh yeah, well, we'll cut your rent or we'll give you three months free. Cause we just know this is going to be, you know, people thought we'd be back to work by Easter 2020 sure. at some point. <laughs> um, and I think as time went on and there was just more and more, uh, you know, I'll just show you, I'll just show you my, um, my POS results and you could see, I mean, I'm not mm-hmm. trying to hide. There's just really nothing there. And I think, you know, it became more and more evident to, to people that, you know, there was, this was going to be serious and serious for a long time. So we've had a lot of people step up, uh, my team has been phenomenal in helping me manage through this. Um, so while we've been heavily impacted, we've been working really hard to make sure we soften that blow as much as possible and just getting ready for hopefully the the repopulation or the upswing whenever that does come back. It's one of the many cruel ironies of this whole situation that like this A plus 
prime real estate that in normal times would just be hopping is now like the most impacted. Um, oh yeah, my my anywhere. second my second highest performing store at the moment is in downtown Brooklyn. It's four hundred square feet. Um, it didn't, you know, and even in pre-COVID, we only had about five seats in there, so it's you know, it was very small, tight space. But it's close to, you know, it's a residential community. Um, there's schools there. We're near uh, metro stations, so um, that store, you know, was always, a, you know, we like that store. It's a good store, but sure. to think it's like it's our smallest store in the entire fleet, and it's it's just it's crushing like bigger stores that are corners in Times Square, which is just funny to, of course, funny to yeah, see it. Yeah. Um, Such a strange, you know, it's certainly it's been it's been it's been wild to watch the the roller coaster over the last almost twelve months. So as, as you look towards growth in the future, does that change what kind of real estate you're looking at? Are you looking at, you know, suburban strip malls now instead of? Uh, yeah. Well, it's funny stuff? because we, about two years ago, we did look at our, our, uh, our real estate and our, our current set of stores and we wanted to diversify anyway. We just felt like we were heavily concentrated in very specific areas and we knew, um, we're confident in our ability to perform in those types of locations, but we had started signing leases in different sorts of locations. So we, um, we signed a lease in Hoboken, New Jersey. We signed two leases in Long Island, New York. We signed some leases in Bergen County, New Jersey. Um, and those are now starting to get open. So we opened our Hoboken store in January and immediately it's like my number three store in the fleet. Um, we were about to open uh, our first Long, Long Island location uh, later this week, and we'll have our second Long Island location next month. So, you know, we, if in hindsight, these are the moves we would have wanted to have made during COVID, but we had, we made them a couple of years ago. So I'm thankful that I hadn't continued to double down on the same sorts of locations that I historically had, because then I probably would have been in um, a more difficult situation with how I was planning for the future. So I, I, we, we've made some pivots and wanted to diversify the portfolio years ago, and it's it's now coming into into the fold. So we're excited to see some of these developments over the next few months. Um, and I think moving forward, we're certainly going to be evaluating um, real estate very differently. Uh, it's just how do you price things? You know, it's very hard to evaluate city locations now because how are you know people? You know, there's there's lots of talk of more work from home or. Some of these offices, how are they going to be augmented or how frequently will people be in the office? And now instead of summer Fridays, it's summer Fridays and Mondays or, you know, <laughs> now it's people only being work two days a week. You know, who knows? Um, so, you know, for us to make, continue to make bets right now, um, we're, we're, we're being a little cautious um, in certain locations. We're not saying no to anything, but we're definitely being extremely uh, thoughtful with how we want to evaluate the next wave of stores. Um, but we're, we're really excited to continue to diversify in the portfolio. So, you know, whether it's, you know, some of these suburban stores or, you know, adjacent to the cities like a Hoboken or some of these, um, other types of locations where we're super pumped to, to get the brand into some different types and styles of, 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 uh, real estate. Sure. Um, and so as, uh, you look towards growth, what, what is this year looking like in terms of, uh, additional units? So we've opened the Hoboken location in January. Um, we'll have the two Long Island stores uh, coming right up. Then we have two, three, 
three more locations coming in uh, suburban New Jersey, as well as um, anywhere from two to four more locations in the DC area. So, you know, we're still pretty early in the year, but we're looking at anywhere from, I don't know, six to, to 10 new locations opened in 2021. Has that been slowed down by the pandemic or is that kind of uh, yeah. um, honestly, some of these probably should have been open last year. We were mm-hmm. um, building departments were either shut down or um, really slow. So my Hoboken location took, I don't know, nine months to build. It should have been three. Um, these Long Island stores, you know, I had I was in for permits at one of them for almost four months um, by the time they released the permits. So um, some of these things have certainly been slowed down and should have been open last year and got delayed. So it's sort of um, all getting pushed together into this year and um, we'll continue looking and seeing what's going on. And I think just in general, things are slower at these uh, municipalities to no fault, no fault of their own. They're not allowed to, you know, can't go to the buildings department like you sure, used to. Sure. Everything is done virtually or by mail and, um, it just slowed down the process. So um, things that would normally be same day or or very quick are now weeks or sometimes months to get certain things done. So, you know, we're working through that as well. Uh, and it just takes a little bit longer to get things done. But hopefully that starts to straighten itself out um, as more things start opening up and um, vaccinations or whatnot start to become more prevalent out there. Mm-hmm. So in addition to your coffee, I know that you all have been pretty innovative when it comes to food offerings as well. Can you talk a little bit about the menu and particularly about uh, some of the plant-based stuff you you do? Yeah. So, you know, sort of what I mentioned early on are, are, you know, my desire to be innovative and forward thinking. Um, A lot of that comes from the background. Like I said earlier, my father worked in food service. um, So, I did come from a food background, uh, and so we've always sort of tried to marry the food program with the coffee program in a way that was a little bit upscale and premium for this sort of quick serve environment. So we've been doing an in-house baking program since uh, 2008, 2009. So it started as you know par-baked or baking off from frozen and eventually evolved into a, a scratch bakery kitchen. So we make everything from scratch every day at our stores. Um, so all the products you see, we make ourselves. Um, so we don't buy any, any finished products where we're creating everything on our own. Um, and it's given us a tremendous amount of flexibility in the types of products that we want to roll out and how quickly we want to roll them out. So um, we've had gluten-free and vegan items on the menu for years. Um, I'd say probably the last three years, which sort of dovetails with myself becoming more of a vegan plant-based. Um, I, I just, I eat, a, I'm an almost entirely plant-based diet myself right now. So as that's happened, we've incorporated more and more of, of those plant-based and vegan products onto the menu. And they've been so, so successful. I think it's just, people just don't expect to find so many plant-based options at, at their coffee shops or places like ours. Uh, and when they taste them and they're absolutely delicious, I think they're just totally blown away. So um, or before the pandemic, about a year prior is when we kind of officially launched our hot sandwich program. We never really had hot food. Um, and those products did well. And one of them was a, a plant-based egg sandwich, which we, um, we launched and was very successful. And then part of what happened during COVID was with a lot less places open, and people having fewer options for breakfast or those sorts of foods, um, 
we leaned a little bit heavier into the sandwich program. So we went from three sandwiches to six and it just become a much bigger part of our program. And of those six, three of them are fully plant-based and we use just egg, egg patties on all of those. We use Daya um, dairy-free cheeses uh, and Beyond Meat uh, as for our meat program uh, and different mixes and matches. So probably our most successful, we call the vegan deluxe. It's a, a sausage, egg and cheese on a croissant, all plant-based. And wow. you'd eat it and you would be surprised that this was all plant-based, but it's, it's an absolutely delicious sandwich. We sell, it's, you know, it's rocketed to like my fifth highest selling item out of anything. I sell more, more of those than cappuccinos on some days. Um, nice. So and it's, are you making it's those been croissants awesome. in-house or do those come from? The croissants we do buy. So okay. uh, maybe I, I misspoke earlier. That oh, no, was that... something we did, that we source, but we do package the rest of the, the items ourselves and the, the, the regular croissants we make ourselves. But um, oh. that item um, to start, we, we did find a vendor to make that product for us. Um, so fully, fully plant-based sandwich there, as well as like a vegan burrito, um, which uses similar mix of ingredients, but it's in a, uh, a wrap with, um, breakfast potatoes, mm -hmm. uh, peppers, onions, these sorts of things. So, um, yeah, that the, our food program has been on the rise for us, just as people get taste more of the things that we're doing and things that you can't find anywhere else. And they just happen to be, a lot of them happen to be plant-based. A lot of them happen to be really delicious. So when people take that, they're, they're really excited to continue trying the new products here. That's great. Um, so doing so many of those things in-house, like making croissants, things like that, that takes a fair amount of real estate. If space does that, um, uh, you know, constrain what kind of spaces you can get into? You, do you need a larger kitchen to do all that? So we do, we do have a centralized commissary in um, Long Island City. So we have about 7,000 feet, which half of which is dedicated to our roasting facility. And the other half is to our baking and food uh, production facility. So we bake out of, that, out of there and we roast out of that location. And then we ship every night over to the stores. So they're getting fresh baked product. It's just coming from somewhere else. We have been testing at... Um, as of now, we're testing it at five locations with smaller um, convection ovens in our stores where we're now doing the actual baking off inside of our stores. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll use our commissary to send batters or they'll make product and then freeze it. And then we will we'll bake it off in the store. So it's, it's truly fresh made in that, that same morning instead of coming from the evening before. Um, so we're continuing to lean heavier into how we're thinking about our food program and how it can really couple really well with our, our, our coffee program that we're so proud of. And are you looking at growing out of the, the geographic range that you're in now? And if so, how, how would you like have to build another commissary in some other part of the country or how? how might well, that's, I think part of the, the test we're doing with these um, baking off on site. So that way we can continue to leverage our single facility and sending um, batters or frozen product out of that facility. So we're still making everything ourselves, um, but we'll have, we'll be delevering off of a commissary based model and we'll be able to do finishing in the stores themselves. Um, and at the moment we're, you know, we have the two anchor cities of New York city and, and Washington DC. And as I alluded to earlier with the diversification in mind, we're planning on opening uh, cafes and different style cafes in and around those cities. So 
in New York, we have Long Island, Westchester County, Rockland County, uh, Northern New Jersey, uh, and then DC. We obviously have plenty of room to grow in DC. We, we, we don't nearly the same footprint we do in New York, but then we also have Northern Virginia and Southern Maryland. So we see a pretty decent stretch of stores just in those proximate areas. So our, our talking to our, our real estate brokerage team, I mean, we believe we can get anywhere from 10 to, to 25 stores in the next, by the end of 2023, just in these proximate areas. Sure. Um, we'll continue to evaluate other opportunities, you know, should they, have, should they come up in other cities? Um, but at, at the moment, we're really focused on uh, drilling down in our home markets um, and really finding uh, new, new opportunities where they're close by, but they're not quite the same market. So Long Island, you know, Plenty of commuters coming in and out of the city in normal times, but people that are, you know, familiar with the brand, they either work or, or visited a Gregory's when they come into the city. Mm -hmm. So you have that brand velocity, which just helps with the initial ramp and opening a new store. Um, and, you know, we'll continue to evaluate other opportunities uh, as they come along. Good. Well, I am very appreciative of your time. Are, is there anything else I should be asking you about here? Um, I'd probably cap it off with just it's it's interesting timing because just this week we um, officially announced our buy a bag give a pair program so last year we partnered with this not-for-profit called restoring vision and um, what they do is provide corrective vision to those in need in the developing world so there's this huge global health i don't want to say crisis but you know global health issue with regards to getting corrective vision into areas where folks either don't have any access to, to doctors or certainly uh, the, the, the lenses or, or frames needed for people. And you can imagine, I mean, I'm obviously our logo, you could tell it's uh, got co coffee cups and glasses in there. Um, and I'm a, I need corrective vision myself. And if I couldn't see, I don't know how I would be able to function. function um, yeah. And there's, there's millions and millions of people around the world that just don't have access to these things. So restoring vision, um, is a great uh, not-for-profit organization that has made it their mission to kind of try and solve or do their best to work to solve this problem. And we partnered with them. And last year, we, we brought 500 pairs of glasses with us to Guatemala, um, the Huehuetenango region, where we actually buy coffee from uh, this region uh, for one of our blends. So we visited actually the farm and we used that as um, the, the meeting point where we invited everyone from the region to anybody that had a need could come and we wound up, you know, matching over 500 people with, with glasses. Um, and they were, you know, from, from teenagers to, to grandmas, um, grandpas who maybe have never had corrective vision in their life. And so that was sort of the initial kicking off point. It was, it was amazing to be a part of that physically, but now, mm -hmm. What we've done was that with every bag of coffee we sell, we'll donate a pair of glasses to someone in need. So um, through restoring vision, uh, you know, I won't physically be handing those glasses out to every single person like I did last year, but um, they will help us to get um, corrective vision into the hands of those who need it around the world uh, with every bag of coffee that we that's sell. Out, that's outstanding. What a great, uh, what a great mission and a great service project. That's wonderful. Well, yeah. thank you so much for your time today. Uh, it will be fun to watch as you guys uh, grow and uh, please keep us posted on what's, what's next for y'all. Amazing. Thank you so much and uh, appreciate the time. <laughs>